And I'm going to begin a brief series on will the real Jesus please stand up. Will the real Jesus please stand up. This has been so on my heart. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher of the Word of God. I've dedicated my life to teaching the Word of God. I was years and years in school to learn the Word of God. I've been ministering His, His Word since I was 18. I'm 55. That means 37 years most of my life I've been ministering the Word of God. I'm a committed student of the Scriptures, and I'm greatly, uh, well, I'm very concerned about what's happening in the Western church, and I'm going to talk about that tonight. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about who Jesus really is. So let's read this now. This is out of 2 Timothy. Let no one in any way deceive you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Because Jesus said, even the elect could be deceived. Now, for it, that is Jesus' return, will not come unless what, everybody? Preach it to me. The apostasy comes first. And the man of sin, or lawlessness, is revealed. The son of destruction. Father, open our hearts tonight to your word. Teach us. Help us to be a church that walks in the light and is not deceived and does not cave in to the pressure of this culture. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your word. In Jesus' name, build me up. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And let me, uh, let me just talk to you out of my heart. Uh, it's so important that we understand what our Bible says. One thing that impressed me in, in uh, Haiti, when I went to that conference uh, where I spoke to about 800 leaders, Jesse was there with me. Where are you, Jesse? There you are. Jesse was there with me, and we went in there. About 800 leaders were in the, in the morning service. You know what I noticed? And leaned over to Jesse and said to him, look at that. Every one of them have a Bible. Every one of them have their Bible. And they're dirt poor. But every one of these precious Haitian people were carrying their Bible. On Wednesday nights, you ought to have a Bible. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm, just, I'm asking you as your pastor, bring a Bible. Because this is our sword. And I want us to learn it. And uh, so we need to understand what the Bible is saying about things. And I want you to follow along, even though I know I've got it up here on the screen. But let's look at what the word apostasy means. Because Paul says, by the Spirit of God, the Antichrist is not going to be revealed until something happens first. Now, I'm not looking for the Antichrist, but a lot of Christians are. Ooh, who do you think it is? I've heard Kissinger was the Antichrist. Clinton was the Antichrist. I mean, there's always a new one every, every, every few years that believers think might be the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. But if you, if you want to know what must precede the appearance of Antichrist into the world scene, it is an apostasy. Now, when we say apostasy, what does that mean? Apostasy means to fall away from the truth. So, therefore, an apostate is somebody who has once believed and then rejected the truth of God. You know, Paul in another place talks about uh, seeking teachers having itching ears. It's not the teachers that have the itching ears, it's the people that have the itching ears, and they're seeking teachers that will scratch the itch. They don't want to hear the Word of God. And so there is going to be an apostasy, he says, in the last days. And that apostasy will involve rejecting the Bible you hold in your hand. Apostasy 
is a rebellion against God because it's a rebellion against truth. How many of you have realized truth is under assault in our day? There is a war against the Word that is intense. Now in the Old Testament, you'll find that God warned the Jewish people about falling away into idolatry. That was the deal. Don't carve out idols for yourself. Don't worship idols, so on and so forth. But in the New Testament, the epistles warn us about falling away from the truth. That's the warning. Paul warned again in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, now the Holy Spirit is telling us clearly that in the last times some will do what, everyone? Turn away from the true faith. And what will they turn away towards? They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come straight from demons. And can I just tell you tonight that any teaching that lures you away from Jesus Christ is the teaching of a devil? He goes on to say, these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. King James says, seared with a hot iron. They don't feel anymore. They have no sense of what's right and wrong. Their consciences have been seared, dulled by the lies that they've allowed into their lives. Then he says, warns the Thessalonian church. He says, let nobody deceive you. Now he's talking to believers every time. Let no one deceive you, church, in any way. For that day will not come except the apostasy. Notice, the apostasy. And I want you to note that the article is used before apostasy. The. The apostasy. So he's not just talking about a general apostasy, but a particular apostasy in the end times. The apostasy. The great apostasy. He's, he's distinguishing that from general apostasy says in the last days the apostasy will come first unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians has come and the man of lawlessness that's the antichrist is revealed who is the son of doom of perdition now many are looking for the coming of the antichrist but what what Paul calls the apostasy must come first. A falling away from the truth will precede. Now, why would that be? Because the Antichrist cannot step into a great big bowl of truth. He will capitalize on apostasy, a state of deception that the world will be in. And most Christians are looking for the Antichrist, but not looking for signs of apostasy. Apostasy is always about denying the person and work of Jesus Christ. Always remember that. Any cult, any apostasy, any false doctrine, any false teaching is always going to be about marginalizing the person and the work of Christ. It's always going to attack in some way or another the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what the spirit of Antichrist is. It's anti-Christos, anti-Christ, against Christ. So that's what apostasy is always about. Now, I want to look at a few primary essentials on the nature and work of Jesus Christ that apostates always turn away from. You cannot deny the truths that we're about to look at and be a true Christian since they are explicitly stated in Scripture. So what we're about to look at, if you're a true believer, you cannot deny these. The first one is that Jesus is both God and man. All right, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in this message. What did John write us in John 1.1? 1, 1? 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the Logos, was God. What a mind blower. Second truth, Jesus rose from the, rose from the dead physically. I heard a preacher one time on TV say, now we know that Jesus didn't really actually rise from the dead. I stood away from the TV. And I wasn't even the one saying it. Lest the lightning that struck him struck me. But he was very serious and he was the pastor of one of the major churches in this city. That's, that is apostasy. All right? Now here's another truth. Salvation is by grace through faith. There's not one thing you and I do to get ourselves saved. We are saved by the blood. He paid a debt he didn't owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. And so not one thing you and I ever do can save us. And if you turn from that truth, you're headed in an apostate direction. Okay? Here's another one. The gospel is comprised of this. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I want to say this. If the gospel you preach will not preach in a third world country. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We went to Haiti and preached to people who had nothing, but the gospel we preached could easily be received by these people who lived in abject poverty because it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. So to depart from that, is to receive apostate teaching. Now, here's another big one. Jesus was born of a virgin. Anybody who teaches anything else has gone into apostate doctrine. Jesus was born of a virgin. So the, the whole life and story of Jesus is a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. And that will preach anywhere in the world. Virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Now, those are just five, I think, essentials of Christian belief. And, and I'm going to preach this over and over to you and, and to our congregation and the radio audience because let me tell you, the world is departing from these things. Much of the church, let me show you something. Has the church, million-dollar question tonight, has the church of today begun to turn from these truths? Do you think it has? Let me share with you a few things I dug up. According to a survey generated by a random sample of senior clergy taken between March 3rd and September 15th of 2008, so this is recent, from each of the seven largest mainline Protestant denominations with 2,658 leaders responding. Here's the final data that emerged. Two-thirds of mainline clergy disagree that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. Both in matters of faith and in historic, geographical, and other secular matters. Two-thirds of men and women who stand in a pulpit and teach a congregation, two-thirds in mainline Protestantism in America, cannot stand up and with authority say, thus says the Lord, because they don't know if He did or not. Only 29% of mainline clergy agree that the Bible is inerrant. Only 29%. Now, just so you'll understand the, the word inerrant, here's what it means. The original text of the Bible was divinely inspired, and nothing has been lost in the transmission and translation. 
inerrant means no error, containing no mistakes. We believe that in the original writings that God gave the prophets and gave the apostles, there is no error. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us so. And so if you're going to depart and say, well, I think it has error, then you're immediately departing from what the Bible declares of itself. What does it say? All Scripture. Everybody say with me, all Scripture. Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And that's why the world hates it. Because the world doesn't want to be corrected. But that's what the Bible says about itself. Now, dear friend, if you say, well, you know, I I think most of it's inspired, you're sunk. Because what are you going to do when the devil comes knocking on your door and says, why don't you go and whatever, and it's a sin, something sinful. Why don't you go do whatever? Why don't you become involved in immorality? And and that voice comes to you and you say, well, you know, because the Bible says I shouldn't. Well, the first thing that's going to follow behind that voice is, well, how do you know? Because you know some of it's not inspired. How do you know this part's not inspired? How do you know that it's true? And you're going to feel the temptation so strong, the enemy will be able to come in and say to you, well, how can it be wrong if it feels so right? And you go, you know, this part's probably not true as well. And off you go. See, once you open the door, the enemy is in and the Bible says of itself all scripture is inspired by God so our position here at Turning Point and I think the position of any Christian can answer for these men and women who don't believe the Bible is accurate they need our prayers but as for here and it's not a stupid or an ignorant or an uninformed or an uneducated conclusion we have come to. In fact, it's an educated conclusion. It is a thoughtful conclusion. It is a logical conclusion. It is a conclusion borne out by experience that this is the inspired Word of God. And so that's it. And so you can stand on it. You can walk on it. You can stake your life on it. And praise God when the devil comes to tempt you, you can hit him between the eyes with it like Jesus did. Okay, let's move on. Here's more about the modern American church, the Western church. A majority of clergy in this uh, particular poll, in every denomination except the American Baptist churches, do not believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, with clergy from the Episcopal church least likely to believe so. Then only 10% say cultural issues such as abortion and same-sex marriage are the most important national issues. 10% felt that abortion and same-sex marriage were very important. 51% of all mainline clergy supported, this blew my mind, supported the legality of abortion in all or most cases. Now, Now, you know how you come to that conclusion? You come to that conclusion by not knowing your Bible. Because if you know your Bible, you can't come to that conclusion. You can't come to the conclusion that abortion is okay. 
Watch this. 65% of the 2,600 respondents of mainline clergy support either same-sex marriage or civil unions. Again, that just comes from throwing the Bible out the window. Let's look at more. 54% do not support the teaching of creationism alongside evolution in public school biology classes. Well, that's just stupid. How in the world can a man of God who stands behind a pulpit not want creationism taught in school to the children instead of them being made a monkey of by the teaching of evolution? But they do. I, I had trouble with this survey, but oh, I've got more to tell you. 43%, 43% of those polled disagree that evolution is the best explanation for the origins of life on earth. You say, well, praise God, 43. But you know what that means? 57% of mainline denominational leaders believe that creation by the hand of God is valid. Only 57% believe that creation by the hand of God is valid. This poll shows a shocking and tragic departure from the Word of God. And folks, I'm going to tell you, the time has come in our nation. You're going to be on one side or the other because the, the, the battle line has been drawn in the sand. You're either going to take your stand on the Word of God and say, I trust the Word of God, put my faith in the Word of God and the God of the Word, or I'm going to go on the other side and I'm going to tell you what will happen with you. You will drift you will find yourself out in the middle of the ocean with no compass and no sail and no anchor and you will sink into some kind of trouble. If you depart from this word, you are going to get in trouble. Your flesh is going to take you down. You will somehow, someway, somewhere be deceived. This is the antidote to deception. And, and the, the, the line in the sand has been drawn so clearly and so distinctly that all you've got to do is turn on the TV any given day and you see people on either one side or the other. There's no fence. It doesn't exist anymore. You're here or you're there. And I want to predict to you, if you follow the culture and where it's going and the way it's throwing the Bible out, you are going to end up in trouble. Seven days without the Word makes one week. Y'all need to go pray about that. <laughs> he whose Bible is worn out probably isn't. You stay with your word because this is the word of God. And what I have found, I've studied the philosophers. I've studied the teachers. I have studied Greek philosophy. I've studied Roman philosophy. I've studied uh, German philosophy. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you. Those that did not go with the Word of God, the leaders, invariably ended up confused, distressed, lost, anguished. This Bible tells us the truth about God and us. So you stay with your Bible. Now let's go on to some more information here about the current church. And I'm going to go as long as I can. Are you all all right? All right. George Barna also released a poll of professing Christians on January 12th, so it's very recent, and here's what it revealed. Christians expressed a variety of unorthodox beliefs. 
Nearly half of those interviewed do not believe in the existence of Satan. Well, what does that make Jesus? That makes Jesus a fool because he was always rebuking the devil that does not exist. (laughs) One third of professing Christians believe Jesus sinned while on earth. Well, if you believe Jesus sinned while on earth, then, then what in the world are you a Christian for? Why should you even fool with it? Because if he sinned, we're all lost. Only an innocent man with innocent blood who was born of a virgin and whose father was God who was conceived of the Holy Ghost had the ability to deliver us from our sins. So if he sinned while he was on earth, what are you doing in Christianity? You're not in Christianity. You are deceived. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And now watch this. Two-fifths of those polled, professing Christians, say that uh, they don't have a responsibility to share their faith with others. Well, that just makes the words of Jesus go into all the world, preaching the gospel to every creature, null and void. Now let me go on with a little bit more news and... (laughs) And then we'll move on to some happier subjects. In a major Pew Research poll, this was a major one that made all the headlines, of 35,000 Americans, here's what the Pew Research found. 65% of American Christians, 65% of people professing Christ, including 47% of evangelicals, think that many different religions can lead to eternal life. Among these Christians... 80% cited one non-Christian faith as a route to salvation. 61% of professing Christians named two or more. Folks, what is this? This is people who say they're Christian, who say they know the Lord, but they don't even know what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but through me. He who the Son frees is free indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Uh, When they asked the disciples, what must we do to be saved? They said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what you must do to be saved. So what is going on here? Well, deception and apostasy has weaved its way into the church, the Western church. Now, I can't speak for the rest of it because I don't see it. I know that Jesus is moving, God is moving, the Holy Ghost is moving all over the world. But I can speak for the Western church because I'm here. And this is what we find. And this is tragic. And people wonder why the church is hemorrhaging people. We actually wonder. And preachers listen to me by radio. I want you to hear me now. Preacher, if you're not preaching Christ, the gospel, the blood, the cross, the resurrection... If you're just a motivational speaker and you're just telling them how to make a bunch of money and be successful on earth and that's all they ever hear, you're not ministering the Word. You're not. And and I say that in love. I'm not 
condemning. I'm not accusing. I'm saying preacher, friend, pastor, friend, evangelist, friend. We've got to get back to the book, back to the truth. No wonder by the hordes people are leaving churches and hugging trees and becoming Buddhist and turning to Krishna or any other thing because they're not finding the Word in the church. And it breaks my heart because I'm going to tell you, you feed them, they will come. Oh, I could preach like a wild man, but I got to move on. Major denominations, major denominations are reeling from the effects of encroaching apostasy. One Presbyterian pastor recently voiced his dismay as Presbyterians in Char uh, Charlotte approved an amendment that would open the way for the ordination of non-celibate homosexuals. He writes, and I'm quoting him directly, quote, the approved amendment in violating the teachings of Scripture and our confessional history puts the church in the position of accommodating itself to a culture that is demanding permission for behaviors and patterns of life that while self-gratifying are not biblically permissible states the pastor of Carmel Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, in a commentary published Thursday in the Charlotte Observer. Meanwhile, get a hold of this. The presbytery, the presbytery of Charlotte, the leaders of the denomination, the Presbyterian denomination, a regional body of the Presbyterian Church, voted 177 to 139 to support a constitutional amendment that would delete language requiring clergy, quote, to lead a life in obedience to Scripture and to live in, quote, fidelity within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman or chastity and singleness. They said, our leadership, we vote, does not need to live biblically. In the West, there is an undeniable apostasy. Now, whether or not it's the apostasy, I can't say. I don't know if anybody can say, but it's an apostasy. Oh, it's a very real apostasy in the West. And it's taking place among many of the denominations that once served as bulwarks of the truth of Scripture. And as a pastor... I'm going to tell you this concerns me. So who was and is Jesus? Let me just, let me just get us grounded in our Christology. Say it with me, Christology. Your Christology is what you believe about Christ. And what you believe about Christ totally depends on the rest of your life. Uh, what you believe about Christ will decide the rest of your life. You tell me what you believe about Jesus, and I'll tell you a lot about your life five years from now. So who was and who is Jesus? Let's get out of this confusion and go to the book. Jesus once asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, there's a scuttlebutt out there. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus wanted to know something. Who do you, my followers, say that I am? And Simon answered and said, I'm cutting out here, TJ, for some reason. And uh, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. 
You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, You are blessed, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven told you the truth about me. I am the Christ. Now what in the world does that mean? Let's look at a couple of things as many as time will uh, allow. We'll go a few more minutes here. Everybody blessed? You want to get a little bit of this? All right. Let's look at who he is. Notice, Jesus first asked who the crowd thought that he was, and then he wanted to know who his disciples thought that he was. Same today. The crowd will give you endless beliefs and ideas. Oh, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a great prophet. He was as good as the rest of the prophets and as the rest, the rest of the religious leaders. He was right there with Muhammad. Oh, no. No, he's light years beyond any religious leader. If anyone should know who he is, it ought to be us. So who was and who is Jesus? The book of Colossians was written to counter apostasy. Way back in the first century, it's all about the book of Colossians, clarifying the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Several passages in Colossians, even chapter 1, begin with the words, He is, and then tells us who He is. And so let's look at a couple of the mind blowers that the Spirit of God gave us in Colossians 1. First thing it says is He is the image of the invisible God. That comes from a Greek word, icon, akon, icon. And it means a precise reproduction. It doesn't mean just a similarity or a likeness. It means a precise reproduction. Jesus said to Philip, Philip had said, Lord, show us the Father. Show us God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Have you been with me this long and you don't get it yet? He that has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? Read the red ink. You want to know what God's like? Read the red ink. People are always saying, well, I don't want to become a Christian because that mean God in the Old Testament. Well, read the red ink and tell me you don't want to come to a God like that. Read the red ink. Jesus healing the sick, his heart breaking over the lost, weeping over Jerusalem, walking on the water, delivering people from demons, healing uh, the blind, opening their eyes, opening deaf ears, going about everywhere doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Look at what Jesus did and said, and you see the Father. He's the image, the visible image of the invisible God. And every microsecond of his life was a perfect reflection of the God we worship. Isn't that powerful? God is invisible, yet Jesus was the visible, precise reproduction of the invisible God. Now, it goes on and says, and he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, wait a minute. Now, we have a problem with that, because that sounds like he started. That sounds like he had a beginning. He's the firstborn. So you mean, you mean he was born like us, so he's kind of like us, and he had a beginning. That's not what it's saying. It's not stating that Jesus was the first creature to experience being born. We know that's not true. That would mean if he had been, if it meant he's the firstborn of all creation, that would have meant he had a beginning and he wasn't eternal. 
But that's not what it means. The word firstborn means first begotten. Jesus was the first and only to have been literally begotten or conceived of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That's what it means. He was a part of a first. A woman conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, a child in her womb. In that way, he was the firstborn or first begotten. This is why John said, God so loved the world that he gave his son. No, his only begotten son. Because he was the first begotten. And that lets us know that, no, Jesus never began. Can I just blow your mind for a minute? I can't wrap my mind around what I'm about to tell you. I can't wrap my mind around what the Word tells me about Jesus. But I can accept it by faith. Jesus had no beginning. As one who is born and begins his existence. We all had a beginning. We're just not going to have an end. Right? We all had a beginning. We're just not going to have an end. But now, not Jesus. Jesus is never going to have an end, but he never had a beginning. Jesus was God incarnate. Therefore, his existence spans eternity past. Now, when I try to think of eternity, I can't do it. I can go back trillions of years, but I always want to end somewhere. This has got to end somewhere. I can't in my mind because I'm finite and you're finite and everything in our life has a beginning and an end. We're born, we die, we get married, you know, and we have kids and they are children and they grow up and they begin and they have endings and everything in life, your career begins, it ends, but Jesus never began. That's who we worship. Now why did he never begin? Because he was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, are you ready? When the beginning began, Jesus as the second member of the Godhead was already there. When the beginning began, He was watching the beginning begin. Are you all with me? When the beginning began, He was watching the beginning begin. And He said, it is good. And next week we're going to see that He made it all. Well, this is the Jesus a lot of people don't hear preached. But I tell you, we've got to get back to who our Jesus really is. He was not some sandal-wearing, long-haired, genteel-looking, first-century hippie who said good things. He was God wrapped in flesh who never had a beginning. He visited planet Earth, but He had always been. When Micah predicted the coming of Messiah. He described him as one, quote, whose goings forth have been from of old, from eternity. He said he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and the one that's born in Bethlehem is an eternal person. He appears often in the Old Testament in what we call Christophanies. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with Christophanies, then we're going to finish. Can you all handle Christophanies? This is good stuff. He, he appears often in the Old Testament, and we need to get a hold of this in what we call Christophanies. That is when the pre-incarnate Christ appeared in the Old Testament drama. When did it happen? I'll give you an example. In the Old Testament, we read of the angel of the Lord. 
this angel, literally means messenger, angelos, messenger, claimed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He claimed to be the great I Am. In Genesis, we see the angel of the Lord instructing Abraham as to the sacrifice of his son Isaac. In verse 12, the angel of the Lord told Abraham, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. You remember that? From me. Remember when he said that to him? And the ram was caught in the thicket? In Genesis 31, 11, this angel of the Lord called Jacob in a dream. And in verse 13, the angel of God said, uh, I am, I am, I am. Clearly then, the angel of the Lord, or God, claimed to be God Almighty. This person who was the angel of the Lord always revealed themselves as the angel of the Lord, who the recipients of his visitation said, this was the angel of the Lord, he said, I am. So he was claiming to be God. But this angel of the Lord could not have been God himself because Jesus said, no man has ever seen God. No man has ever seen God. If you saw God, you were dead. He didn't even let Moses see him. So who was this angel of the Lord? Well, clearly, this angel of the Lord is not the Father. The most probable answer of this angel was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Paul tells us that the rock that followed the people in the wilderness was Jesus Christ. The fourth man in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children, children was recognized by Nebuchadnezzar as being the Son of God. In verse 17 of Colossians 1, Paul leaves no doubt about this. He says, He himself is before all things. And the phrase all things means before all things in time. The only reason I brought up the Christophany, the appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, is to show you that his first activity or arrival to earth was not in Bethlehem. That was the incarnation. But as Jesus, he appeared many times in the Old Testament because he always was. That's who we worship. He's a mighty God. I wish I could go on, but I can't. Let's stand together. Everybody say with me, we serve a mighty God. And our Jesus is coming soon. Give the Lord a hand of praise.